Welcome, welcome, welcome in to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Super Bowl 58 is set. Chiefs and 49ers. And we'll uh, talk about what happened in a bit, plus uh, get you an early preview of Super Bowl 58 coming up top of hour number two. Elsewhere on the show today, Zach Eady hits some milestones as Purdue finally ends the futility in Piscataway. Meanwhile, no Khalil Ware, no threes, big problems for Indiana at Illinois. And uh, we'll also talk with Justin Cohn of the Journal Gazette Comets beat writer. He will join us in hour number two, about 835. Comets maybe finding their footing here of late. Uh, a, a quality weekend, and we'll see what's kind of changed with this team as they're now solidly in second place in the division behind Toledo. So that's all to come on the show. Plus, we have sweet tickets to give away. For Purdue Fort Wayne, so the Mastodons uh, return to action on February first. So they've had what, like a week layoff or so, and they're back. And uh, we will have a four pack of sweet tickets. We'll give away in hour number two as the Dons host Milwaukee in Horizon League play. So uh, let's see what's a, what's a good code word for us today. Is this the second hour we're giving it away? So we yeah. can text. Let's. Uh... Uh, let's just do Mastodons. Okay. And we'll see if people can spell it right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mastodons to 46862. Again, Mastodons to 46862. You can win a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Dons in Milwaukee coming up this Thursday night at the Coliseum in the suite. Uh, courtesy of us here on 1380 yes. The Fan and 100.9 FM. And the losing streak is over for the Dons. Yeah. We'll see if they can start a new winning streak on Thursday night. So we'll uh, give those tickets away. Plenty of giveaways this week. We'll give away uh, Don's tickets today and tomorrow. Plus we have another giveaway for Comet's tickets later on this week as well. So plenty of chances to win. Just uh, helping you, slogging you through the dog days of winter with some giveaways here in the show. Absolutely. We're doing our part. We're we're trying our best. We're trying. 46862, as mentioned, that is how you reach us on the text line. If you don't want to win Mastodon's tickets. I'm not sure why you wouldn't want to win sweet tickets, but that's just me. Uh, but you can text uh, your thoughts to 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Also, don't forget, you can stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380thefan app or your smart speaker. Uh, that is free as well. Have a good weekend, Justin. Busy. Yeah. Were you working the yeah, entire week? I, I, I mean, worked all weekend. Uh, Normally, I can tell when you're working because you're not texting. I'm not me texting. Much. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I finally texted you last night during. The I was like, oh, is he still alive?" <laughs> yes, I was still alive, but it was a grind of a weekend working Saturday and Sunday. But got to see enough of the games yesterday that uh, that will break both of those down. And uh, just as everybody expected, at least I did. Chiefs, yeah, and the 49ers. But I mean, how I, we got there was very interesting. I. I I, like many people, wanted to see the Lions win. I um, thought they were in very good shape. They were in great shape. And then they blew it. <laughs> they blew it. The Lions eventually reverted back to the Lions. Yeah. So uh, let's just get into that part of headlines since that is far and away the, the biggest story on this Monday morning, Super Bowl 58. It's a rematch of Super Bowl 54 between the Chiefs and 49ers. Game one uh, between the... Chiefs and Ravens, I, I I think 
there's going to be a lot of talk about Lamar and can he win you know, the big games. Where I'm not ready to have that conversation. One, I think Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen are in a similar boat that Peyton Manning was, where they'd be the best quarterbacks in the league, but Patrick Mahomes exists. Kind of like Peyton Manning you know, had great regular seasons, kind of like Lamar Jackson is piling up great MVP-level regular seasons now. But uh, he has Patrick Mahomes to worry about. Peyton Manning, of course, had Tom Brady. So I- I'm not really ready to go down that narrative boat. Sometimes they're just a better player, a better team ahead of you, even though you're really, really good. The Ravens were really, really good this year. Um, and we saw that when they beat the 49ers in the regular season. That was kind of all the proof we needed. And with this Chiefs team, I mean, defensively, everyone wants to talk about Mahomes and the offense, and they're not they're not as electric as they used to be, but it's the defense that has just become all-world with Chris Jones, obviously. that That's expected. George Karloftis has been big for them, the uh, Purdue grad. And then the secondary. It was really young last year. They figured it out. And now they have a, a quality defensive backfield as well. No, they do. It's a, it's a lot of things to take out of this game for sure. I will say for Lamar Jackson, um, two and four now in, the, now in the playoffs, as good as he is, when you are a run first quarterback, or at least your your best attribute is running the football, eventually you're going to get tripped. You have to be able to throw really, really effectively in this league. He did throw for 272 yards against Kansas City, but uh, sacked four times, threw a pick. He's fumbled six times in six playoff games. It just hasn't been good enough for Lamar Jackson. Part of that performance yesterday, though, was that Kansas City defense. That was very, very good. And they've really led the way for most of the season. Yeah. They're overshadowed, of course, by Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and, of course, Taylor Swift. But that defense has been the difference for Kansas City. Remember, this team lost six games in the regular season. This is not a team that's went you know, fourteen and two, thirteen and three, or thirteen and four, fourteen and three, whatever, into in the play in the regular season, and then just breeze through the playoffs. They had to uh, really overcome some adversity, which they usually don't. But the Chiefs were able to, and really held control in this game, and it was only fitting that with just over two minutes to go with this game close and a chance for Baltimore to get the ball back, the much maligned wide receiver core of the Kansas City Chiefs, in, in this instance, Marquez Valdez-Scandling, hauling in a, on a third and nine, a long pass that effectively clinched the game. I think the other thing that you look at with Lamar Jackson, I mean, he just... He, held on to the ball too long, quite a bit. I mean, that was a a common thread. When he has the ability to run and take off, it was like he was standing in the pocket for too long. And I think even Romo even said this, you know, you you do your first read and your second read, and then you go. And it was like he was staying for that third option far too often. (laughs) I do not, I'm not a big fan of Tony Romo on CBS, but he had had a great point there in that aspect because Lamar, it was almost like he was playing against his strengths with that. Well, you throw in an interception in the end zone, hurt. You have Legereus Sneed um, trying to get into the end zone. We talked about this. We talked about this so much about trying to make a play, but in the end, exposing the football. And Zay Flowers, you know, trying to dive for the for the ball, and Sneed was the one that knocked it out, and that was huge. Well, and Flowers with the 
taunting penalty. It was just stupid. Yeah, it was right? ridiculous. It was stupid. So um, just missed opportunities for Baltimore. But Kansas City jumped out to the early lead, and I thought that was huge to kind of deflate the crowd a little bit. And then they controlled the tempo of the game the rest of the way. It was the Chiefs being the Chiefs, and look at Patrick Mahomes now undefeated on the road in the playoffs <laughs> at 1-0. 2-0. No, 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 3-0. Well, I mean, no, I'm sorry, not, it's 2-0. I'm getting rid of, of Super Bowls, but... Um, no, he he won his first road playoff game two at Buffalo ago. last yes. week. Yes, so he's now two and zero. Yeah, two and zero in, in in road games in six years as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Six straight AFC Championship games, four Super Bowl appearances. Now uh, the the two AFC Championship game losses both happened in overtime. It just wild, just astounding, huh? Wild, and then Travis Kelsey passing Jerry Rice for most receptions of the postseason, which is also wild. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. But uh, Chiefs keep chi- chiefing. And I know some people are, here we go, two weeks of, of Taylor Swift. I guess I'm just not bothered. I'm not bothered by, by it as either. As much as other but people are. I guess I'm more secure in myself as a person <laughs> than these people. These people I, like, I don't oh, understand gotta... why that is like the end all be all. Like, she's not going to be the halftime performer no. at the Super Bowl. That's Usher. Um, you can handle like a total of not even one minute of crowd shots through a three plus hour football game. Yeah, and like all they're doing is just show, like, what's the big deal? You I just, mean, they're showing her be ex, being excited. Yeah, I don't know. Because Travis Kelsey the, made a play. The whole thing just I don't understand that narrative. Yeah, I, I it does not bother me whatsoever. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I know to some people it does, but to me, I, I couldn't care less about showing Taylor Swift. Yeah, I I don't either. I'm glad I'm glad we we got that out of the way. Yeah, and we and actually agree we on agree. it. How about that? Yes, <laughs> that's pretty wild. Weird. Uh, four six eight six two. Your text line number four six eight six two. Uh, so game number one, and and someone saying still thinking that Lamar Jackson is better than Josh Allen. I don't know if we ever said that. Yeah, I don't know if we ever said that either. Uh, I didn't. I, I think Lamar Jackson's didn't. up there. I think L- L- Josh Allen's up there. I think they're both up there, but they're both behind Mahomes. Everybody's behind Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's 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 the reality. I mean, you can you can go back and forth on who's better and who's not. And Lamar made some highlight real plays yesterday, right? The, the play, the pass that was deflected that he caught to himself. Yep. The the touchdown pass it was just unbelievable. I mean, he's an electric player. Josh Allen's a, a great player, but both of them have the same thing in common. When the game mattered the most, they made mistakes against the Chiefs. And you can't make mistakes against the Chiefs and expect to win. You just can't. That defense is too opportunistic, and Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. And his wide receivers came through yesterday. Even Travis Kelsey, no drops for Kelsey. That had been a problem in the playoffs. Uh, was big when he needed to be. And uh, the Chiefs, just, they're, they're used to this, uh, this atmosphere. Maybe not on the road as much, but they proved they could do it against Buffalo on the road. And they go into Baltimore, Baltimore get up early, and just shut down Lamar Jackson and that offense. And also for this Chiefs team, I mean, you, you talk about the drops, and the other thing is they were a team that had a negative turnover margin, right, in the regular season. And in the postseason, they're the team that's making the plays. Their defense yeah. is coming up with huge turnovers game after game. That has certainly helped them in this postseason run to Super Bowl 58. Meanwhile, the 49ers overcome a 17-point halftime deficit, tying the largest comeback in NFC Championship game history which ironically happened to them when they lost to the Seahawks 
uh, in the 2012 edition of that game. Um, but this is a Niners team that everything was set up for them to lose with how this game started. Falling behind by 14 early, down 17 at the half. Can they rally back? And they've done it now in two consecutive weeks showing that they can come back and, and win these kind of games, which is something they could not do under Kyle Shanahan for years. It wasn't just a Brock Purdy thing. It was a Kyle Shanahan tenure thing. Now they've done it back to back weeks. Yeah, it's um that that has been the big what was the stat that we said it when when the when the 49ers are down seven or more in the fourth quarter, at one point they were 0 and 38. And they've won back to back games now uh in that situation. So um a lot of people will say this game changed on Brendan Ayuk's catch, and it was a big deal for sure. But I felt like the catalyst that started the movement for San Francisco was getting this stop and in, in the end of the first half and not allowing Detroit to score because Detroit was doing whatever it wanted to offensively, particularly on the ground. And San Francisco was able to force just the field goal and it was a 24-7 game instead of a 28-7 game. And I think even that small victory for San Francisco at the end of the first half was a big deal heading into the break. It- that that sequence, okay, I get that people are going to blame Dan Campbell for going for it. And I'm, I'm actually not going to blame those decisions in the game. When you're playing on the road, if you play for the tie, you're going to lose. That's just the reality of, of how things work. And... I thought that sequence where they were just far enough away to not go for it on fourth down before halftime felt like a game-changing moment. Because if they go for the touchdown there and score, that's the kill. That's the ball game. Well, but that's why the end, it was inconsistent. Like, there, why settle for the field goal when in the second half you don't settle now, for the field goal? Uh, because the Niners got the ball first out of halftime. If the Lions had the ball, I would have said go for it. Go for the win because the game is over if they score a touchdown. They're not they're not losing that game if they're up twenty eight to seven at halftime. I thought the game was over twenty four seven. I got to be honest. I, I did too. I forgot the Detroit Lions are indeed the, <laughs> the Detroit, Detroit Lions. Lions, and I think there's plenty of blame to go around, but also a lot of credit to go around too. And you and I were trading texts last night, and I asked if you were ready to give Brock Purdy some love, and you said. You will give him some love. He's not elite, which I think we can both agree he's not yeah. elite. But I didn't think the 49ers were capable of coming back from 24-7 down with Brock Purdy behind center. Because we said, admittedly, last week, this is not a team that we think if it gets down multiple scores can come back and win. It did exactly that yesterday. And it's done that in back-to-back games. Yes. <laughs> so it shows how um, uh, dumb we are. Well, and I think the other thing with, with Brock Purdy and this team, I mean, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But this is a Niners team that's had a lot of success and they got to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo who clearly is a lesser quarterback than Brock Purdy at this point. Um, I'd say Brock Purdy's right now is better than Jimmy Garoppolo ever was. I, I don't think that's really a reach on that aspect. But he is a guy who made winning plays yesterday. I mean, he had a better rushing average than the Lamar Jackson did which is kind of hard to believe. Um, but And he had some big runs in that game that kind of won them the game in that aspect. And I, I think with Purdy, this narrative is going to continue. And unless he wins the Super Bowl, like 
is he perhaps comparable to an Eli Manning where we just don't know what to do with him, right? Elite team, elite defense, and he makes plays when it matters, but is he really like an elite quarterback? I don't know. If he wins the Super Bowl, though, it'll be in that conversation, that's for sure. He's definitely doing all the right things to put himself in that in, in that conversation. Uh, just you look at Detroit and you're up 24-7 at halftime and you give up a field goal to start the third. So it's 24-10. That I thought was a pivotal drive that the Lions weren't able to convert because then next the ensuing drive was the IU catch drive and, and then all bets were that, off. Yeah, that, that completely changed this game. And I get that the Niners were trailing at that point, but that, I mean, that was a demoralizing play for the Lions. And I think the other aspect of this, again, people want to pick apart, you know, kicking field goals or going for it, but also, I mean, that play coupled with not converting on that fourth and short, again, drop passes, right? And then on defense, the tackling was solid in the first half, but that was always the question, how the open field tackling be for this Lions defense is very in- inconsistent. Well, the tackling was terrible in the second half. So that that reverse course. It was not it, it was not good. And and Detroit just once once the wheels fell off, they they completely fell off. And it was very much a tale of two abs. It, it, it sounds cliche, but it was. And I think the 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 key that there were bigger plays over the course, but over the course of the second half, but San Francisco getting the stop at the end of the first half with just the field goal, and then getting points on their initial drive of the second half. It wasn't a touchdown, but they got points, and that was something. So I think the positivity you could take out of the final drive of the first half carried into the second half. They finally started to slow down the run in the second half, and I think Detroit only gained maybe 25, 30 yards in that second half on the ground after just torching that defense. But it's really tough to be a Detroit fan this morning because you knew you had that game. You had it. You have 17 on the road, and you were dominating on both sides, and you let it get away. And unfortunately, you could say the Lions are still the Lions. They're a better team. They have a better coach. They have better players. But in the end, the Detroit Lions are still the Detroit Lions. And now you wonder, was this a, a one-off kind of magical run, or will they have sustained success moving forward? I mean, they should have sustained success, mm-hmm. but this is the problem with, well, we, we always have next year and beyond because we're, we're built for long-haul blah, blah, blah. Look at the Bills. Look at the <laughs> Buffalo Bills and how that's gone. That's never guaranteed. You have to capitalize on your opportunities, and you are... 30 minutes away from your first ever Super Bowl appearance up 17 points and you get outscored 27 to 7 the rest of the way. And who knows, depending on injuries, depending on this, that, the other, a myriad of options, uh, of possibilities that who knows if Detroit, it's going to take another 32 years for Detroit to return to the NFC Championship game. 46862, the text line number 46862. If you have thoughts on either of the AFC or NFC championship games, let us know on the text line. Just put in CK before your message. We'll get to it uh, throughout the course of the show. So Super Bowl rematch is set between the Chiefs and the 49ers from Super Bowl 54, and we'll get an early preview for you coming up in hour number two. 
Moving on elsewhere in headlines this morning, Michigan has their man, Sharon Moore. No surprise. He was named a hire on Friday. I think that was the smart play for Michigan, and they'll be able to retain a lot of people. I don't think you're going to lose a whole lot of players in the portal. And you have some consistency in terms of style of play, so it's not a complete changeover in what you're trying to do offensively or defensively. I think it's it's an easy decision to bring in more continuity and all that. Do you feel long term? I think these are this is a question that we ask, maybe continue to ask about Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman. Long term, is it the right hire? Can Sharon Moore keep Michigan? as a consistent national title contender. I mean, they're losing so much that this upcoming season, no. But after that, that's the question mark. I I want to see him succeed, but it is so hard to get to that top level in college football. It doesn't yes. matter if you're with one of the elite programs. I mean, we've seen it with Lincoln Riley, right? I mean, they have a, a great first year, and then everything completely falls apart in year two for him. So... I'd like to think he can continue that success, but Michigan has not had sustained success over multiple head coaches in quite some time, really since what Lloyd Carr and, and, and Schimbeckler, right? Yeah. Or, or I guess there was, there was a coach in between there. Um, but yeah, they just have not had that level of success. There have been four coaches since World War II not to return to a school after winning a national championship. The first three of those, uh, it was Pitt in 1976. Jackie Sherrill came in, went 59-1 and over the next five seasons. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson replaced uh, Howard Schellenberger at Miami that in went 1983. Well. That went well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And then Frank Zolich taking over for Tom Osborne in Nebraska. And that went pretty well for Frank Zolich. So... Never won a national title, Frank Solich didn't. But um, when the expectations for Nebraska were actually legit back in the day, uh, it was kind of uh, difficult to to continue at the level that Tom Osborne had. But those three coaches enjoyed significant success. Can Sharon Moore be number four? I don't know. I think it's the right hire, but will it work out long-term to keep Michigan atop the college football world. I'm not saying national titles you know, each and every year, every just other year. Just making the playoff. Just making the playoff and being a contender, making a run to the Final Four or something here, there, or the other. We'll see if Sharon Moore can be that guy. Meanwhile, in the NBA, the Pacers going to win yesterday afternoon, taking down the Memphis Grizzlies. Pacers now 7-6 and six without Tyrese Halliburton on the season, which is a drastic improvement over last year when they were 7-19. and 19. Well, they continue to uh, to pile up some dubs. Good for the Pacers. Hopefully, they can get Halliburton back. I mean, what's the latest projection? I mean, we're uh, talking about another supposed week. Supposed to be soon. Weeks. I mean, he can only miss, I think, three more games and lose out on that that huge forty one million dollar payday if he can play the rest of the games of the season. So you hope at some point he comes back uh, soon. It just seems like every every week is another week. Uh, so the Pacers now in in sixth in the East. And playing pretty good basketball despite not having Tyrese Halliburton. I, I saw this. I can't remember who said it, where it was. When you talk about the Pacers and their development and where they could be in a couple years, somebody looked at Benedict Matherin as the catalyst. Yeah. Because you know what you're getting with, with Pascal Siakam. 
You know what you're getting and you'll continue to get from Tyrese Halliburton. Can Benedict Matherin be that third piece? If if he is that third piece, they're in great shape. Um, and he's he had a slow start to the season, but he's finding his footing the last several weeks. He had 24 to lead the Pacers in the win yesterday. But if he can become that third guy and average, what, 16, 17, 18 points a game, um, then I feel close. like you're 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 set. But yeah. he's not there yet, and and either he'll finish the year strong and be at that level, and the Pacers can go on a little bit of a postseason run, maybe win a series, or you hope he's at come next season. Do you think we're seeing with Tyrese Halliburton out better play from Matherin stepping yeah. up in the absence of Halliburton? Yeah, no, I, I I think we are, and I think he is the guy that is going to determine what they do the rest of the way. If he can continue to to play better basketball after his slow start this season, I firmly believe. I mean, his scoring average I think has gone up over about it like a point per game over the last month or so. He's averaging just over fourteen a game. They need him to be the player that he was last season moving forward because he had a great rookie year. Remember, right. so that that's what they need, and they need him to to be scoring like he scored sixteen point seven a game last season. Um, they need him to do that, and they need him to be a better three point shooter. And, and that's really those are the the things that are, that are missing. For this Pacers team is having that third option that you right. feel like is is a fringe all star. They don't need to be an all star, but they need to be a fringe all star. You you need to see that year three jump for Benedict Matherin next year when you're talking about how the Pacers continue to to ascend, and the Pacers already found one superstar through the draft and Tyrese Halliburton. Benedict Matherin doesn't necessarily need to be that. He just needs to be a star. And he's not there yet. You hope maybe year three is when he breaks out. But he has done what the Pacers needed him to do with Tyrese Halliburton out. Which is encouraging. Yes, for sure. Uh, From pro basketball to college basketball, Homestead grad, and 2011 Butler grad Grant Liondecker named the Butler vice president and director of athletics. So congrats to him. Which is just uh, amazing when you think about it because I remember when Grant Liondecker was playing basketball at Homestead and now he's the athletic director uh, at Butler. So congratulations to Grant. Uh, great dude. Uh, still young. Dyna- I almost refer to him as a kid. I mean, he just uh, he graduated in 06. And so really impressive with his ascension, you know, played at Butler, but really has been a Butler guy since going down there and still been around uh, the Bulldogs since his graduation and now be running the athletics department. So he will succeed Barry Collier, who obviously transformed the university, at least when it comes to the basketball program, first as a coach and then as an AD as well for for quite some time as Collier retiring. So Grant Leindecker, a, a guy who was part of those Brad Stevens teams and went to back-to-back national championship games taking over uh, for Butler as the AD. And the Comets over the weekend, promising signs. Uh, They get a 5-2 win over the K-Wings in Kalamazoo. Again, Comets away this weekend due to the Shrine Circus. We'll have more of that at the end of the show. But the Comets get a 5-2 win, so a good one there. And then earlier on, or, or after that in the weekend, 2-0 2-0 over the Cyclones, and they get Ryan Fanti back as well. We'll talk with Justin Cohn in hour number two about the return 
of Fanti to the roster. And one other roster note, uh, the Kays have traded for Benito Posa to the Greenville Swamp Rat- Rabbits for future considerations. I feel like this has been the closest the Kays have been to Toledo in quite some time, mm-hmm. and to eight points. Now, Toledo has two games in hand, and actually Wheeling has three games in hand, right behind the Kays in standings, as well as the Indy Fuel, two games in hand. The Comets have played the most games out of any team in the Central Division. We'll see if that evens out, but the Kays undefeated in regulation in their last five and playing some good hockey. Meanwhile, Toledo just three, five, and two over their last five. So uh, the Kays have dug themselves quite a hole. The entirety of the Central is has in terms of looking up at Toledo, but uh, could the Kays, if they can continue to play some, some really good hockey, which they have, continue to close that gap against Toledo? 46862, your text line number again, 46862. If you have thoughts on the Boilers, let us know as Zach Eady hits a milestone and Purdue finally topples Rutgers at Piscataway. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you here on a Monday. Text line always open and available to you at 46862. Again, 46862, just put in CK before your message. And if you're a Purdue fan, you'd be pretty pleased with what you saw yesterday as the Boilers hang on, get a 68-60 win over Rutgers in Piscataway, ending that losing streak on the road at Rutgers. First win for the Boilers in Piscataway at Jersey Mike's, a.k.a. the Rack, since 2018. And we, we say this all the time, right? Good teams win at home in the Big Ten. Great teams win on the road, and that's exactly what you saw out of Purdue yesterday. It wasn't pretty. Rutgers cut it to two a couple different times in the second half, but uh, the Scarlet Knights went cold when it mattered, and Purdue closed out a strong win on the road. Well, and it was looked like a traditional game for Purdue at Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers just came out and played with their really aggressive defense, played with a lot of energy, And for several years, that's been what it's taken to knock off Purdue in Piscataway. But this is a different Purdue basketball team. And it was ugly at times. The shooting was off. Lance Jones struggled tremendously. Um, But the the Boilermakers got it done when they needed to. Overcame some turnovers. But despite all that, still led by 13 at the break. And really didn't feel threatened the rest of the way. And uh, it's one of those games I think you'll you'll gloss over in the big scheme of things when you look at Purdue's season as a whole. But it was a very impressive win yesterday in the style that they had to do it in. And for Purdue, a couple of milestones for Zach Eady, sixth player to reach 2,000 career points at Purdue. Again, chasing the, the Purdue all-time scoring mark and perhaps have a shot at it if the Boilers make a run in the postseason this year. Uh, But he goes over 2,000 career points, also joins an elite list in the Big Ten. 2,000 career points, 1,000 career rebounds as well, becomes the sixth player to do so. Um, Can you name any of the other six? Uh, For Purdue? Uh, No, 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 for Big Ten. Oh, my goodness. 2,000 points, 1,000 career rebounds. One should be a given. Glenn Robinson? No. No? Uh, One should be a given. Again, across the Big Ten. Across the entirety of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. 2,000 and 1,000. Um, Don't think too hard. He played last season. 
in the Big Ten? Yeah. Trace Jackson Davis? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, Ethan Happ of Wisconsin, Joe Barry Carroll, one of the other all-time Purdue greats. Oh, yeah. Uh, Herb Williams at Ohio State in the late 70s, and then Greg Kelser, who played uh, with Magic Johnson on those Michigan State teams in the late 70s as well. Would not have gotten a single one of those outside of TJD. Yeah, TJD is the one that I was very confident in. I would not have guessed Ethan Happ. And the other guys just before my time, so I wouldn't have thought of their names. And here's one of the reasons why Purdue is so impressive. You look at some of these stats from yesterday. 15 turnovers, not ideal, especially on the road. Five of 19 from three, not ideal, but still won by eight points. Rutgers wasn't much better from range, but Purdue out-rebounding Rutgers by 16, or no, excuse me, they were out-rebounded for the first time. First time all season. All season, yesterday. So they're out-rebounded, they turn the ball over 15 times, they only shoot five of 19 from three, and they still win the game. Why? Because Rutgers can't shoot as a team. 37.5% <laughs> Purdue, nearly 49% in this game. And the the thing with Rutgers, as someone texting in, Rutgers plays barnyard ball. Yeah, it, it's an ugly, just hideous style of play. I think ugly is an understatement. And the fact that Rutgers is, for whatever reason, just seemingly owned IU and Purdue, at least in big moments of the, the last handful of years, for Purdue to get this win yesterday is a huge confidence booster because the senior class for Purdue had never won at Rutgers. So that meant a lot to them as well. Yeah, it was a big deal yesterday. And Zach Eady going for 26-12. and 12. Braden Smith with a big game. Lance Jones eventually turned it on. He didn't score, but 10 points, or excuse me, 10 assists. Oh, let me talk again. Okay. It's Monday morning. 10 rebounds, 8 assists for Lance Jones to go with 4 points. Uh, he was big. Uh, it, particularly with Trey Kaufman Wren having an off game, so it was just one a, a hard fought, ugly win on the road in which all of the metrics says Rutgers should have won this game. Yet Purdue comes away with the win. Four six eight six two again. Your text line number four six eight six two. So Purdue continues to roll, and for the Boilers, uh, they they take care of business against Rutgers, and then now you have a, a big week ahead. You get Northwestern. Coming up on Wednesday night, you host them, try to avenge that loss, uh, the open Big Ten play, and then at Wisconsin coming up on Sunday in just a, a huge game for the battle of the, hopefully the top of the Big Ten standings, Wisconsin 8-1, and Purdue half game back at 8-2. and And Rutgers continuing to be the thorn in the side for the Hoosiers. So don't you worry. While they uh, drop that losing streak or that winning streak to Purdue, they're still pretty much owing, owning Indiana. In Indiana, we'll get to that on the other side. A myriad of issues for this team. And what we saw on Saturday, despite being competitive, you just wonder, like, is this going to get any better? That's next as IU falls to Illinois. You're on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you can text Mastodons to 46862. Again, Mastodons to 46862. Be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Dons take on Milwaukee Thursday night at the Coliseum. Again, this is a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Mastodons in Milwaukee Thursday night at the Coliseum. Just text Mastodons to 46862. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning, another chance to win coming up tomorrow morning 
as well. And uh, we'll have chances to win on the Sports Rush today and tomorrow as well. So you have opportunities. But uh, your first chance to win a four-pack coming up today. So just text Mastodons to 46862. And you'll be entered into the contest for this morning. Plenty of opportunities this week to win some stuff from us. Yes, absolutely. So this is your chance and the first of several chances uh, this week to win. Um, From winning to, well, the exact opposite of that, which is what we saw from Indiana on Saturday afternoon at Illinois. No Khalil Ware. IU fails to hit a three for the first time since a game in 2010. They had their chances, though. This game was tied at 62 late, even after Malik Renu fouled out. But uh, Illinois cleaned up at the free throw line. IU made mistakes. 12 of 22 from the free throw line for Indiana. 0 of 9 from threes. Not going to get the job done. And, and again, I always point to that open scholarship that Mike Woodson wasted and mm. not getting a shooter. It just seems to be more of a glaring efficiency as this season goes on. IU actually started off well in this game. They led by, what, as many as, I want to say, eight in the first half and controlled the game early on, effectively limited Illinois' crowd early on. But the Illini finished on that big run to end the first half. They took a lead into halftime. And credit the Hoosiers once again fought back, led by as many as seven in the second half, But when you can't make free throws, when you can't make three-point shots, and Illinois is one of the best teams in the country in terms of limiting the three, but as we all know, this isn't a one-game aberration for Indiana. This is just who they are. They don't shoot threes. They don't make threes. And it effectively made Indiana one-dimensional. Couldn't shoot from range. Couldn't shoot from the free-throw line. It made them have to attack the paint. They were able to do that. Having some success. Khalil, Khalil Ware definitely would have met, been a big impact, for sure. But I think when you look at uh, Malik Renew and, and struggling with foul trouble because of Ware's absence, and eventually, over the course of 40 minutes, Indiana wore down, didn't have enough offensively. I thought the defense played pretty spirited basketball for the majority of the game. Unfortunately, the offense just wasn't enough. Yeah, I mean... The the deficiencies with three-point shooting and free-throw shooting, just, I mean, this has become the hallmark now of back-to-back coaching tenures. The Archie Miller tenure, right? And also now the Mike Woodson tenure. For whatever reason, these teams cannot shoot free-throws and they cannot shoot threes. And there was, uh, you know, you thought you were getting somewhere because they were at least more efficient this year at the start where they weren't taking many threes, but... They're at least hitting them. That's not the case anymore. And I just don't see how you can win in modern basketball taking nine threes in a game. And I get no, it. IU shouldn't, be, IU shouldn't be taking a lot of threes because they're not a good three-point shooting team. But you, this is just not how you play modern basketball. And for whatever reason, Mike Woodson, who wanted to build a roster with his type of players, which is a bunch of like athletic wing-type guys, right? and guys who can step out and shoot the three who are bigs, and like a Khalil Ware. Obviously, they didn't have him available on Saturday. But that's kind of what he wants, and so far, it is not working for Indiana. I mean, IU isn't the best shooting three-point team, but 
they're like middle of the pack in in college basketball. I just feel like they they make about one third of their threes. They should be taking more of them. Now, 0 for 9 isn't great, but Illinois is a really good defensive team on the perimeter. But I I think, once again, you just look at it like, why are you only shooting nine threes? I know you didn't make any, but why are you only shooting nine threes in a game in 2024? Like, come on. What are you doing? uh, We're not asking them to shoot 20 plus, but 12 to 15, I mean. With Khalil Ware out, too? Make the perimeter more of a priority when one of your bigs is out. Then you had Xavier Johnson, who actually had a pretty good game, but he got that ridiculous technical foul uh, after a made basket and, and throwing it out of bounds. And Coleman Hawkins just like wasn't paying attention. And Johnson got a tech. And look, any other player, it's probably not a tech, but Xavier Johnson for for good reason, mind you, has developed a reputation yeah. among Big Ten officials. But don't put yourself in the posi- position. Some people will say, well, it shouldn't have been a technical. It, I tend to I, agree. It should not have been a technical. But don't even do it at all. Like, just, you know, I don't know. Let the ball fall. I mean, yeah. it's a made basket. You don't have to do anything. But but like you said, when you start gaining a reputation, then calls tend to start piling up. And that's where Xavier Johnson is right now. Fair or not. Yes, and for a six-year player, that's not what you would expect. And, no. and again, Mike Woodson bet on Xavier Johnson, Trey Galloway, going with the experience in the guards. And then Gabe Cups is a secondary piece, which he's been more of a primary piece at times because of Xavier Johnson's injury. But that bet has not paid off, plain and simple. It's just the reality. I, I feel like it's like the same story over and over again Oh yeah, with the guards. And they were they were decent on Saturday. I mean, Johnson had a good game. Galloway was relatively efficient. I mean, he didn't light up the scoring column, but he was efficient in that game. Didn't make a three, though. And just the fall off from his three-point shooting ability year over year, and then Xavier Johnson, just whatever has happened, right? (laughs) It's just he had that run in the 2022 Big Ten tournament, and it's like he had the injuries last year, injuries early on this season, and he's just not been the same guy ever since. But don't worry. Mike Woodson said... Other than not making any threes and the missed free throws, I thought we played a solid game. <laughs> oh, God, I love he it, said right? that. I, I, know, I know he did. We talked about Purdue earlier, and Purdue got out-rebounded. They turned the ball over more than Rutgers did, and they hit four of 19 from range, and they still went on the road and beat Rutgers. Indiana needs every single thing to go right or they're not going to win. And and that's what the frustrating thing is, is really good teams overcome issues. IU has a lot of them, but they can't overcome them. Can't shoot from three. They're not going to win a game. Can't shoot from the free throw line. They're not going to win a game. Turn the ball over too much. They're not going to win a game. Lack of effort. On defense, which they did have at Illinois. I'll give them credit for that. They're not going to win a game. They can't overcome adversity. And that's why they're a mediocre basketball team. And they're 12-8 and eight now. It's not good. No. And, it's and not good the, at all. The schedule does open up a bit now, but that's because they just went through the gauntlet and went 0-3. Which we looked at that crucial stretch, and if IU was going to turn it around which neither of us once thought that was going to happen. But we looked at, okay, IU at least has the opportunity to change things. 
They lose by 21 to Purdue at home. They lose by double digits on the road at Wisconsin. And they lose at Illinois after holding significant leads in both the first and second halves. And now I, I, I guess you can pad your record with a couple wins potentially at home against Iowa and Penn State. But what does that do for you, really? Not much. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's become one of those things where we're seeing the same thing over and over again. We're not expecting different results, mind you, but it seems like Mike Woodson is talking his way out of it. And part of his problem is that he is so brutally honest, right, and blunt with stuff. So you get these quotes and it's like, yeah, that is true. They did play well, minus not making any threes and missed free throws. But it's the nuance and, and not saying it, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's the part that's like, so so frustrating, I think, if you're an Indiana fan, is that he's saying these things and the quotes sound really stupid because most coaches just know not to say that. <laughs> it's like asking, uh, you know. Again, this is not the NBA, right? It's a different different kind of level, and I think that's that's another part that Woodson has failed to really adapt, <laughs> and that's the coach-speak element. Yeah, it's just... Um, it's not him. That's fine. It's going to keep producing these incredible quotes right yeah it should be uh i don't know it's at least it's good good humor you got to be shaking your head if an iu fan though yeah no absolutely four six eight six two the text line number uh four six eight six two um someone said why keep talking about a below average team in iu yeah i mean we, we talk about them less and less yeah it is entertainment and there are people there plus still there's plenty of people that care there are more people that care about a mediocre IU team than a really elite Purdue team. That's just reality. And uh, IU just continues to give us plenty of ammunition. Someone else saying Mike Woodson is a parody of a coach. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's that bad. I just think, like you, you talked about last week, he is an NBA coach who's being pigeonholed into the college game and outside of having... You know, Trace Jackson Davis for two years and then Jalen Shafino for one of those years. I mean, an NBA lottery, like borderline lottery pick. And then uh, one of the greatest players in IU basketball history. And now the the waters return to level. And but Mike Woodson needs to learn when to say and not say things. Yes. You can't go up there and say other than the free throw shooting (laughs) and three point shooting. We played pretty good basketball. (laughs) Come on, dude. That's that's part of that's just a small part of the issues that we have going on. This is Lincoln. Other than that, other than the shooting, you know, how was the play? <laughs> yeah, right. That's what it feels like every time. <laughs> Come on. Four, six, eight, six, two again is how you reach us on the text line. Uh, someone saying if Woodson doesn't make the tournament, is he back next year? I, I'd be stunned. I mean, if they gave Archie four years, right? Yeah. Mike Woodson's getting four years. He's getting four years. He's going to be back next year. They uh, Anything less than losing out of their final 11 regular season games, uh, I, I, things completely collapsing behind the scenes especially. Yes. Mike Woodson's going to be back next year. He'll be back, and there will be a lot of hype because Liam McNeely, you know, the five stars coming in, so everyone's going to be all excited. But we'll see if that really means anything, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Recruiting hype. Coming in. And perhaps another five star who could commit. Who knows? We shall see. Uh, don't forget, you can text Mastodons to 46862, Mastodons to 46862, and be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Dons host Milwaukee at the Coliseum coming up 
on Thursday night, 7 o'clock, the tip time for that game. Again, just text Mastodons to 46862, a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Dons at the Coliseum this week. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show. Coming up on the other side, the Super Bowl 58 matchup is set. We'll do an early preview for this game. It's coming up in way too long of a time, in two weeks' time. That's next as we kick off hour number two here on a Monday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Monday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862, you want to keep that number handy because we have a giveaway. We'll be doing it at the end of the show today and tomorrow, so we'll give you the keyword in just a bit. Coming up this hour on the show, Chiefs and 49 I sadly want to say Lions. In fact, I, I had already written it on my outline that I had to change oh. it last night because I'm like, this game was all but over. Chiefs 49ers, a Super Bowl 54 rematch and Super Bowl 58. We'll give you an early preview in this game and something that I think everyone wants to talk about with the Chiefs, but the, the real factor at play and then the narratives for the Niners. This is Yet another opportunity for San Francisco to try to get another Super Bowl. Uh, also, did IU find something versus the Illini? As bad as things were on Saturday afternoon, 12-22 from the free throw line, 0-9 from three, no Khalil Ware. Mike Woodson may have lucked into something that could just be the thing that saves this season. We'll explain mm. that. And Justin Cohen of the Journal Gazette, the Comets beat writer, will join us. Comets pick up two wins over the weekend. They get Ryan Fancy back to mend the nets, and suddenly they're in second in the division. Of course, behind Toledo, what's been the huge change for this team the last couple of weeks? And before we leave you, uh, Fort Wayne story kind of made the, made the news nationally. Some animals headed for the Shrine Circus had a bit of a detour. We'll explain that Slight detour. after eight fifty. Yes. Did you happen to see a zebra by chance in Grant County yeah, last week? If, if you, you were, that, this Your is why. eyes weren't deceiving you. <laughs> so we'll uh, talk about that at the end of the show again after 8.50. We're going to mention uh, the, the, the Super Bowl preview here in a second. For the last couple weeks for the Chiefs, everybody wanted to talk about Josh Allen and Buffalo. And look what Kansas City did. Went on the road and beat him. This week, everybody wanted to talk about Lamar Jackson. And Baltimore. And oh my gosh, they're 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 the best team left and they're playing the best football. And look at what Kansas City did. Can we stop trying to push a narrative that somebody, a team is better than Kansas City? Or a player is a quarterback is better than Patrick Mahomes, or at least can match Patrick Mahomes. Nobody can. And Kansas City continues to prove it. But particularly the last two weeks, everybody was desperate. And looking to crown Buffalo. Everybody was desperate looking to crown Baltimore. And look what happened. Kansas City beat them both. Oh, I mean, people have Chiefs fatigue. I, I don't know what else to say. I personally am fine with it because I love Patrick Mahomes. Me too. I, I love Andy Reid. I love Patrick Mahomes. My, my, my son is one of those. He's tired of the Chiefs, even though he's been paying attention to football <laughs> for like a year and a half. Yeah. Other people, uh, they're, they're turned off by Taylor Swift. Quite frankly, it didn't bother me. We talked about I, that in the first yeah, hour. I, I don't care. Um, I, I People love to hate on winners. That's why people don't like Tom Brady. That's why people don't like LeBron James. 
you you try to tear down winners, and that's why people don't like the Chiefs. And the Chiefs continue to prove that at least for now they're not going anywhere. Uh, as Steph Curry is to the NBA, to me Patrick Mahomes is to the NFL, and they would have to do something so heinous for me to not like them as professional athletes. And it's just you get to watch a great player in their prime do these things in Mahomes with the pace he's on, right? We thought, oh, no one's ever going to win seven Super Bowls. Well, Mahomes has an opportunity for his third, and it's coming pretty quick. So you just never know. Now, I'm not saying he's going to get to seven with Brady because that's still just impossible to believe because there are already rumors, right, that Andy Reid could retire after the season. They've been floating around. So, yeah, it's it's no guarantee. In fact, I'd say it's still unlikely. But Mahomes has just had an incredible start to his career. And for me personally, I mean, I used to live in Lubbock and saw Mahomes play at Texas Tech. And he was outstanding then. And I was kind of puzzled as to why he wasn't going higher in the draft. And he eventually went like 10th, right, to the Chiefs. And he was just an electric player in college. And to see that carry over and him go to another level uh, with the Chiefs has been very exciting to see. So, a guy I'm always going to root for. It's just the reality. And I understand that people get sick of dynasties, but dynasties, that's what draws in viewers, right? That's what draws in ratings. And this Super Bowl, could we perhaps have the highest rated Super Bowl of all time? It wouldn't shock me. Not at all. You get the, the, the Taylor Swift factor. You're going to have plenty of Swifties watching and could could definitely break a record. I look at this matchup early, you know, matchup. The 49ers figured out a way to win yesterday without playing their best football. And sometimes you have to do that. I mean, the first half was a disaster, particularly defensively. Uh, the defense played better in the second half, particularly against the run, but they're going to have to play much, much better against Kansas City in a couple weeks. And conversely, can Kansas City's playmakers continue to play well and not let Patrick Mahomes down, I think would be the big thing in this game. Uh, you look at the defense that has really led the way in the playoffs. But offensively, I think I look at the skill position players as maybe being the catalyst for Kansas City. And and the thing I want to talk about, because all the talk is, of course, going to be Mahomes and and Kelsey and the Chiefs offense. But for Kansas City, it's the defense. The offense was mid-level this season. And they had their struggles. But defensively, this is an elite defense. You have the youngest defense in the league. You have a young secondary that was able to win a Super Bowl last year despite having some rookies, right? And they're now elite. They're second in the sacks, second in sacks in the NFL, second in points allowed, second in yards, fourth in rushing touchdowns allowed. This is a defense that can go toe-to-toe with San Francisco's offense and their style of play. And that's how you have staying power in the NFL in terms of being able to win year after year. For a long time, it was Patrick Mahomes and that only young defense as well. And flying to the ball and making plays. I mean, the the centerpiece is Chris Jones, but he was almost a non-factor yesterday. Baltimore did a really good job at limiting Chris Jones, but it was other guys that were stepping up and being huge. Legereus Sneed, a bit big plays. Uh, you look at uh, at other dudes. I mean, even uh, Dion Bush, who a lot of these guys are either young or maybe like castoffs from other teams, and they've come to Kansas City and developed into a really, really good defense. So, can't I know there's going to be a lot of attention on Mahomes and that offense for good reason. I think the matchup comes down for me is 
that defense of Kansas City against Brock Purdy. And Steve Spagnolo as a defensive coordinator for the Chiefs has, has done another great job with a team just like he did for the Giants when they upset the Patriots, that, that undefeated Patriots team. Um, had all that success with the Eagles. So he's back with Andy Reid now in Kansas City after a couple of different stints in, in Philly. So the job he's done with the Chiefs defense, you, you got to think about that going hand in hand. And yeah, he didn't have success as a head coach in the NFL, but he is one of the top defensive coordinators in the game. One of those guys that's perfect to be a coordinator. Not everybody is a head coach and struggled in three years with, where was he? The Rams? Before they moved to St. Louis, I, I, I think. I believe so. Yeah. Um, just, but since then, it's just been, a, he was a, a coordinator before with the Giants, and then he was with the Saints, then he was with the Ravens, and he went back with the Giants, so, uh, before coming to Kansas City. So, a dude that just has continued to prove time and time again that he is a mastermind defensively, and he's taking a defense that, outside of Chris Jones, doesn't have any absolute studs on that defense. Maybe some future studs with some young guys. But it's not a loaded defense in the sense that it's a who's who of names. No. No, it's it's certainly not. And they've done a, a great job. I mean, Chris Jones is the guy, right? George Karloftis, we know because he's a Purdue guy. But outside of that... I mean, he's coming along too, but he's not that level yet. No, no. But outside of that, this is not a defense filled with tons of big names, right? It's It's not like what you have with even San Francisco, for example. Uh, San Francisco has, you know, elite skill players on offense, and they have great great play uh, on the defensive line. They have great play at linebackers. They're solid in the secondary. But I think the Chiefs' defense is the underrated aspect of this whole playoff run. Also, for a team that had a negative turnover margin in the regular season, to do what they've done in the postseason, make the biggest plays, the most opportune moments possible, whether it was against Buffalo, they did that. Um, they did that yesterday, getting the interception of Lamar Jackson in the end zone, the, the fumble by Zay Flowers right before the goal line, right? They make the plays when it matters. That's how you win in the playoffs. And and they rattled Lamar Jackson and kept him in check with his legs and sacked him four times. He They hit him multiple more times. They were able to – how many balls did they knock down at the line of scrimmage? early on in particular and effectively forced Lamar Jackson to try to make plays ended up in that, in that interception in the end zone threw into double, almost triple coverage is it was just a, a absolute clinic by that Kansas city defense, particularly uh, once Kansas city took the lead because the first quarter was very even. And then you had Patrick Mahomes just coming alive just after the uh, the second half the second quarter started and scoring that touchdown to go up fourteen seven and then the defense took over. Yeah, I I, I think and someone pointing out on the text line Drew Tranquil also making the Super Bowl so he goes from the Chargers over to the Chiefs and he may, makes an impact in the postseason as well. So they have a veteran player in the secondary right uh, along with a lot of those young guys that's been a big addition for them as well. Uh, great job, great great opportunity for Drew. Great to see. And um, it was a good decision when he signed with Kansas City. And now uh, he's been a, a crucial part of that defense. And now he gets to ride the wave for the next two weeks in preparation for Super Bowl 58. So early favorite Niners by one and a half. Really? Um, yeah. 
47 and a half points. Why? Are people still, like, I don't understand. Like, to me, this is a, I would say, Chiefs minus four. I guess this is a Chiefs game to lose. I agree with you. Why is San Francisco the favorite in this I, game? I don't know. I, I, I mean, to me, I the, the, change. I just, the, I, even the Chiefs, yes, they outside of Patrick Mahomes, who's an all-world player, I mean, they probably when you go by position group outside of tight end, where it's probably a slight edge to Travis Kelsey, right? I mean, they probably don't have the edge in like any other matchup, right? Like any other position group, you probably wouldn't yeah. give them the edge. I'm not saying San Francisco with the exception can't. of kicking, obviously. <laughs> kicking, yeah. I give them a big edge. I'm not saying that San Francisco can't win this game. I'm just saying everybody was trying to sell everybody on Buffalo, yep. and Kansas City beat them. Then everybody was all on Baltimore. And Kansas City beat them. San Francisco has always been that team for the majority of the season as the team out of the NFC. Particularly when Philly started fading. It was, all right, it's going to be San Francisco. So credit to them. But how can you bet against the Chiefs after the last two weeks? I fully agree. I I mean, to me, you have the better quarterback. You have a guy. Patrick Mahomes feels inevitable, right? In situations and games. I mean, we... Talk for years about Tom Brady and his ability to, to do things like that. But Mahomes is like to another level that we didn't even see with Brady. And in, in the big moments, he always delivers. Has there been a time you can think of where he did, did not deliver, right? There are other factors at play, but like him, he's not the one making the mistake with a game on the line. No. So that's the thing I just cannot look past. You have the the greatest quarterback in the game right now who... If he wins this Super Bowl, the narrative is already going to start, oh, can he catch Tom Brady in, in terms of Super Bowls one? He will have three Super Bowls by age 28. Now, he's going to have to play at least a decade plus more yes. like Tom Brady did. But and, and, he's and also, on pace. Andy Reid's not going to coach forever. No. I mean, but heck, the way uh, – it's, it's going to be tough because Andy Reid calls the plays, of course, because you say, well, he just promotes Spagnuolo right now. Well, that's, but, he's defensive quarterback. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But that's but he's a defensive side of the guy, a uh, uh, ball. So it will be interesting for sure. But um, I, I just have a hard time right now this morning saying that San Francisco is the favorite. I do too. It's wild. Uh, we're going to put it. Uh, our poll question today is going to be simple. Who, who is your favorite to win Super Bowl Fifty Eight? Chiefs. Or 49ers. Caleb Kinney, 1380 on Twitter slash X. That will be up momentarily. Coming up on the other side, it was another ugly performance for Indiana when it came to three-point shooting, free-throw shooting, and a loss at Illinois. But did IU find something that could turn the season around? We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kinney in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kinney in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Happy Monday. Super Bowl 58 is set. Chiefs and 49ers. And our poll question today centers around that early favorite to win Super Bowl 58. You have the Chiefs or the 49ers. Let us know. Caleb Kinney 1380 on Twitter slash X. Caleb Kinney 1380. That is the handle. And you can vote in the poll that is up for you right now. Uh, and also, we're giving away a four pack of sweet tickets to see Purdue Fort Wayne. Host Milwaukee coming up on Thursday night at the Coliseum, 7 o'clock tip-off in that one. Just text Mastodons to 46862. Again, Mastodons to 46862. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning.
Okay, so Indiana with a loss on the road on Saturday afternoon. No threes made for the first time since a February loss in 2010 to Wisconsin. That was a game I got blown out. It was like 76-48, I believe, in that game. Uh, 12-22 from the free throw line. So those struggles continue. But there was maybe a slight silver lining in this game for the Hoosiers. They may have found something. And it was just due to personnel issues with Ware being out. The starting lineup of Xavier Johnson, Trey Galloway, McKenzie Mbako, Anthony Walker, and Malik Renew outscored Illinois 40-26 to 26 mm. when they were on the floor together. It's going small ball, which is something that Mike Woodson has not embraced, which we thought he would just due to the fact that he had Mike, or he had uh, Trace Jackson Davis, and that wasn't like his style of play as far as having a classic back to the basket big man. But is that maybe the the one thing you do? Is you you have a lineup that found something? Do you go small down the stretch? The problem is you gotta if where is healthy, he has to be on the floor. If if uh, Blake Renew is healthy, he has to be on the floor. But is a small ball lineup maybe the, the changeup that the Hoosiers go with to have some success? I think I think it's been an entire season. It's been 20 games now where IU is incapable of putting an onus on perimeter basketball, perimeter play. And I think there's a difference. People, Some people will say, well, Indiana can't make threes. Not necessarily. They just don't shoot threes. They don't shoot at a blistering pace. They're 200th in the country. In three-point shooting percentage, there's 300 and what 45, something like that, 350, mm-hmm. 60, something like that. Teams, so they're around the middle of the pack. Okay, they're not a terrible shooting three-point team. They're not a great three-point shooting team. The problem is they just don't shoot them. And you would think when one of your bigs is out for an extended period of time with Khalil Ware, who knows when he's going to be back? Because everybody's just very coy on Khalil Ware, and he's always kind of like a, a, a 50-50 shot that doesn't play, and then doesn't sound like he's any closer to getting re- to being ready. Even when somebody that is is out, you like Indiana is just incapable of. Okay, we're missing this piece, so we're going to switch things around offensively to where we're running plays with with the goal to get open looks from the perimeter. Like Mike Woodson either is incapable of figuring that out or is just so hell bent on I have these ultra talented forwards that I'm just going to feed the post. And that's what they did against Illinois. 46 of their 62 points came in the paint and they still lost. What's that tell you? <laughs> that says a lot. That does it that, that, that the post play can only take you so far if you don't have anything else to complement it. You don't and, have an outside. Uh, you don't shoot outside shots, and you can't make your free throws. And you have McKenzie Ibaka, who's been a a positive addition the last what week or two. I mean, he had a double double on Saturday. He's a guy who can hit the three. Do you play him at the four and shorten things up, literally and figuratively, and give yourself more of an option to actually make perimeter shots? Yeah, maybe open things up if you had a little bit more perimeter opportunities like if you say going to Purdue in a couple weeks for Indiana like just come out and shoot 35 threes and maybe it opens some things up in the post maybe but what's stopping you from from just 
throwing up 30, 35 threes. It's not like you're winning otherwise with your regular game plan. You got scorched off your home floor with your regular game plan offensively. And the other thing that's so bizarre to me about Woodson's team's not shooting the three is that like the NBA style of basketball is shooting a ton of threes. But Woodson was in that prior era. Like right before that became a thing, because he, you know, before Golden State had their breakout, right? He was a coach right before that time frame, and so that's just not part of his coaching philosophy. But that seems to continue to be an issue. I mean, if IU is shooting fifteen to twenty threes a game, one, they're certainly not going to go zero for nine, right? I mean, that was a, a rarity. That's not really a, a long term concern. It continues to be shoot more threes, just shoot more threes, and give yourself a chance. Because they outshot Illinois from the field, but you shoot nine threes, you make none. Illinois, I think, what were they like seven to twenty-three? You got uh, you got outscored Goody twenty-one had a, had to three threes. Yeah, you, you got outscored twenty-one to nothing from the perimeter. It just continues to be like this oversight. It almost feels like intentional as far as a coaching philosophy to oh don't take threes no i think it's become personal for mike woodson in the sense that he's going to prove that indiana can win big games the way he wants them to win them and it's just stubbornness and he won't adjust just refusal to adjust we'll see how this plays out iu with a lighter schedule this upcoming week so they at least have an opportunity to get back into the win column before the game gets really tough again, but at some point, right, you're running out of opportunities, and we've said this, this past past three-game stretch, Purdue, at Wisconsin, at Illinois, you had to get one. They got none. Yes, you host Iowa coming up tomorrow, and you get Penn State coming up on, what, Saturday? Two very winnable games at home. Winnable games, but I will tell you, both Iowa and Penn State are looking at those games as saying, you know what? Or it's not out of the realm of possibility. We no. can't go into the assembly hall and get a win. No, certainly not. Those those are those teams are looking at the, at Indiana as a winnable road game. And then you get at Ohio State and at Purdue the the following week, and again after that, really just one more chance against an elite opponent when they host Wisconsin at the end of February. So running out of opportunities, Indiana to make the NCAA tournament. Not that we expect them to do so, but it would take a turnaround and perhaps. A small ball lineup is the opportunity for Indiana to get back on track. Coming up next, Justin Cohn, the Comets beat writer, will join us. The case coming into form at the right time of the season. We'll talk with him about that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you 46862, the text line number again, 46862. Just type in Mastodons to 46862. You can be in the running for a four pack of sweet tickets to see Purdue Fort Wayne host Milwaukee coming up Thursday night at the Coliseum. Plenty of opportunities to win this week because we have Mastodons tickets to give away. We also have Comets tickets yes. to give away coming up later this week. So stay tuned. For that later on this week. And speaking of the comments, joining us on the guest line, it is Justin Cohn, the comments beat writer for the Journal Gazette. Good morning, Justin. How's it going, guys? Going well, going well. And for the comments, a good weekend for them, picking up two wins. And they get a big boost with Ryan Fanti coming back uh, to the K's. 
what has changed with this team over the last couple of weeks? Is it just simply finding their footing? As, as Jesse Kalicki mentioned, they're just getting more mature as a team. Yeah, I think there's a, a few things. Um, you know, that's part of it. They're doing a better job of playing, you know, situational hockey and, you know, like you said, mature hockey. Uh, and what does that mean? Uh, you know, Saturday they were clinging to a two-goal lead, and in the third period they really just shut Cincinnati down, and the third period didn't really allow them any opportunities. And a couple weeks ago there were just a lot of games where – they couldn't accomplish that. You know, they'd have a lead and they would let down or take it for granted or turn over the puck or take a penalty. So, you know, they've just done a better job of understanding the situations. And, you know, the other two things are the goaltending has improved and the special teams have really improved, uh, particularly the penalty kill. I think it's maybe 16 uh, straight penalty kills over... Uh, the last five games, so you know that's been a big part of that, and a lot of that has to do with some changes that they, they've made. And assistant coach uh, Corey Melkert was really behind a lot of those plays. He's in charge of both the special teams, so uh, I think that's really helped them as well. Cody, when you look at the, at the recent roster moves, we mentioned Ryan Fanti, but anything else that's kind of stood out that's maybe been a catalyst for this recent run? Um, in terms of roster moves, you know, I don't know. I mean, they added Dejan Mingo a couple weeks ago, and that gave them uh, a little bit of stability, an older guy who added a little bit of toughness. But, um, you know, I don't know if it really comes down to roster moves so much. They've gotten healthier. Um, you know, he was playing five defensemen, uh, you know, a, a fair bit, really, uh, a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, so they've, they've got a little bit more help right now. Uh, but I, I'm not sure that roster moves really has, has been a big part of that. Now it might be moving forward. They're getting Connor Corcoran back from Bakersfield. Uh, there could be another guy or two coming from Bakersfield. Uh, they add Daniel Amesbury this week. So, you know, the roster is a little bit in flux right now, too, and we'll see how that affects things moving forward. Somebody of the K's have lost Matthew Wedman up to the AHL at Henderson. Uh, do we expect uh, the, the stay for Wedman in the A to be considerable, or could we see him back with the K's? I don't really know. Um, he came in uh, to Henderson. It was immediately on the third line, so you know they're a little bit short up there. I don't know what the, um, what the expectation is for him long-term out there, but... Uh, with the way they played last weekend, I mean, they actually got through that without him, you know, very well. And uh, like I said, you know, they might be getting some guys back from uh, Bakersfield, and, and that could help fill the void with Wedman being gone. Justin Cohn of the Journal Gazette, Comets beat writer, joining us on the guest line this morning. The Comets in second place in the Central Division behind Toledo. A uh, bit of a gap to Toledo. But the case have, have found themselves some solid footing and the schedule kind of opens up a bit. Is there a chance for them to make a run for Toledo when they play next February 25th later uh, at the end of next month? Uh, I mean, Toledo's catchable. You know, there's 30 games left in the regular season. They're eight points back. Toledo's got a few games in hand, uh, but Toledo has really been slumping. I know they had a huge win 
uh, yesterday. I, I think they maybe scored nine goals, but uh, Cincinnati, who they played, was really depleted. Uh, so they're catchable, but I'd be way more concerned with the teams behind them. Uh, the, the division is so tightly packed. No matter how you cut it, two really good teams are not going to make the playoffs, uh, and even maybe three, depending on how you feel about Iowa. Uh, so, I mean, I've never, I can't really remember a division race like this where it's just like you're, you know, what are we, 42 games into the season and there's basically no separation between uh, places two and seven. So, you know, that that is what I would be a little more concerned with right now, the, the team is behind me. But absolutely, I mean, Toledo is catchable. Uh, they've still got a while until they play them. They've got five remaining meetings against them. And Toledo cannot figure out how to beat Kalamazoo. So that's really helped Fort Wayne because Fort Wayne is undefeated against Kalamazoo. So there's, there's so much time for just everything in the division to change. And schedules mean everything. And we had Shane Alberani on last week talking about Toledo and the multitude of games that they have played in the division as opposed to out the outside the division. That stuff always evens out. Do, does Toledo have a stretch coming up where they're going to play a lot of games out of the division? Uh, offhand, I don't remember that being the case. I think they are just in the midst of a huge division run, but... Um, you know, I'd have to take another look at the schedule. I, I'm not sure what Shane said, but like, um, everybody has been just playing within the division, and that's right. sort of the reason that there's no separation. I mean, yeah, like Wheeling was out and played two games this weekend outside of the division. Fort Wayne two weeks ago was was out in Rapid City, but for the most part, everybody's just playing each other. That's sort of the issue. Because, like, like I said, Toledo can't beat Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo can't beat Fort Wayne. Indy can't beat Wheeling. But Wheeling can't beat, you know, like, I think it's Cincinnati. So, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's just, like, go round and round we go. And until somebody really just hunkers down and rattles off, like, you know, eight of nine, I, I think it's going to continue to be that way. So, you know, right now Fort Wayne is the hottest team of the division. But you look at it, and they're like they've got like a four point lead on three other teams, and those teams have played fewer games. So basically, everybody's all tied behind Toledo. We know the struggles the K's have had this season against Toledo, and conversely, they've been very successful against the Wings. Is there another team in the division that you feel in a potential playoff matchup would be trouble for the K's based on how they play? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I think. Team that would be a little bit scary is Indy, uh, but we haven't seen Wheeling in a while. Fort Wayne looked good against Wheeling early in the season, but haven't seen them in a while. And they can pepper the net with with shots, and they've got what might well I'm, I'd say probably is the best goalie in the division right now, in Taylor Gauthier. So Wheeling is a little scary, but Indy is like I don't know. I don't know what to make of them. They were terrible, and then they were great and then they were bad and then you know they're just all over the place uh but i would say that's the team that you know would be a little lukewarm on having to meet them justin kona the journal gazette joins us on the guest line so the comments get ryan fancy back after off-season hip surgery with fancy with tyler parks brett brochu is this perhaps the best 
goaltending trio that a team has in the division now? Uh, I mean, if we're going trio deep, yes, I, I would say it is. Um, but, you know, I, I also would like a little bit bigger body of work. You know, I mean, it was inconsistencies until the last uh, 10 games or so. Uh, but right now you feel strongly about all three of those guys. And, you know, it's a good problem to have. Uh, but there is good goaltending in the division. I mean, like I said, Wheeling, Kalamazoo's got good goaltending. Indies has been pretty good. Uh, so a lot of good goalies. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out down the stretch because, as far as I know, they're riding with three for a while. It's the only thing that I would see changing that other than injuries would be a call-up. And then right now you would assume that Ryan Fancy would be uh, called up before Tyler Parks, but you just never know. They may want to leave him here to get some more games. Cody, you mentioned uh, some games the K's only suiting up five defensemen. Is that is that Coach Kalicki approaching it, wanting an extra forward for rotational purposes? Is that not having trust on a sixth defenseman? Is it not having the depth at that position? What's the uh, what's the philosophy going around to just uh, dress five? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I never really specifically asked them. Like they did it a couple times out of necessity, but there was at least one game where he was clearly doing it by choice. Um, you know, I think that he wanted the extra forwards that game. Um, I'll have to talk to him about it. You know, I, I can't imagine him getting back to that. You know, I think he's he's learning some lessons, too. And, you know, it's, it's tough to get away with that in this division. Uh, you know, just, just playing five defensemen because you lose one guy, you're putting such a strain on your other guy. And I don't care how comfortable you are with some forwards who can play defense. It's just it's such a risk at this level because we just see so many unpredictable penalties and injuries and things like that. And, you know, if you're suddenly out there with, you know, three, four defensemen, you'll you'll get in trouble that way. So uh, I don't expect them to do that too, too regularly. I mean, right now they've got some defensive corps around, especially with corporate coming back. So uh, I, I wouldn't expect to see it again uh, in the near future. Justin Cohn, Journal Gazette with us. Before we let you go, ECHL expansion. Obviously, we already knew like Tahoe getting a team uh, for next season. And now, just in the last few weeks, uh, Bloomington, Illinois getting a team. is. Are there more expansion teams on the radar? Or does this feel like they're ready to settle at 30 teams? Well, I mean, the goal is to get to 32. So you got one for each NHL team. Now, where are those next two markets going to be? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd be guessing, you know, there's been talk for years about Athens, Georgia, and um, there's a couple other markets, but there's also some markets that they need to solidify. Um, Trois-Rivières, uh, unless something happened the last couple of days, I mean, there was a sale that was supposed to happen, and it keeps not happening, so I think you got to be a little concerned there, and if they uh, should somehow fall off the map, then... You know, you start wondering about Newfoundland because they'd be really out on an island, uh, pardon the pun. And um, so, you know, I, they're going to they're get to 32, but I don't see the immediate other markets. And then also there's Utah. I mean, you know, now everybody's talking Utah and NHL. So um, what happens to the ECHL team there? So, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, they're going to get close, but I didn't think they would be at 30 
this soon, you know, when we sat here last summer. You know, I didn't expect there to be two teams announced this season, and, and here we are. Justin Cohn, Comets beat writer of the Journal-Gazette, joining us. Coney, as always, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll be in touch down the road as the Comet season continues. Hayes off until Friday this week. Thanks, Justin. All right, thanks, Chris. That's Justin Cohn with us on the guest line. Should have asked him about his Lions. No, I was nice. I no. wasn't going to bring well, it up. Well, I think I saw Coney. I think he, he tweeted last night talking about um, how exciting. I, I think he's, I don't know if he's over the loss, but he's already been able to put things in perspective, which I don't know if, if, if a lot of Lions fans are yet at that at that point this morning. I was not going to bring it up unless he did. <laughs> just to be nice you were nicer than i i i would have been i would be but, so gutted yeah but it seems like he's 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 seeing the uh the the other side but there are plenty of detroit fans that are that are struggling this morning absolutely coming up on the other side the circus well it was perhaps more wild than anyone would have anticipated here in fort wayne due to an issue traveling up to the circus we'll explain Next, a story that made national headlines here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Last chance to text Mastodons to 46862. Again, Mastodons to 46862. And you can win a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Dons host Milwaukee coming up Thursday night at the Coliseum tip at 7 o'clock. Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Milwaukee. Again, just text Mastodons to 46862. Final chance Dinner will pick a winner right after the show, so this is your final shot. Uh, we'll have another opportunity coming up tomorrow, and you'll have an opportunity today on the Sports Rush and tomorrow on the Sports Rush as well. Final story of the day. Uh, it was a story that made headlines across the country, but police in Grant County had to rescue circus animals, including zebras, camels, and a miniature horse on I-69. Early Saturday morning, this was in Grant County. Again, uh, a semi-truck uh, that was hauling the animals. The cab of the truck caught on fire at about 2 a.m., according to the Grant County Sheriff's Department. And troopers arrived on scene, and they were patrolling and then saw the, the cab of the truck on fire. They were able to secure the animals uh, at the crash scene. No the, animals injured or missing. The cops were able to, correct? Uh, along with the... Yes, along with the, the driver or whatever. Yeah. Yes, of the truck. Gotcha. Um, but the driver from Sarasota, Florida, they were transporting animals for the Shrine Circus, which was uh-huh. here in Fort Wayne over the weekend. Uh, but the five zebras, four camels, and a miniature horse all rescued, all okay. No one else injured. Uh, there are a couple of uh, tr- troopers, uh, a trooper and a deputy treated for smoke inhalation, but they are later released without any other injuries. So um, the driver of the truck, all the animals not hurt, and obviously went about their way. So we were we were talking off air about what would be more um, uh, interesting animal to see on the side of the road. I, I say a you zebra. Said zebra. I said camel because I've seen zebras not on the side of the road, right? But uh, just the unique shape of a camel and everything, just kind of kind of weird. If you saw that, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go camel. But zebras, yeah. That would weird. be a sight if, if you saw them. Again, it was yes. 2 a.m. in Grant County near Marion on I-69. And now that would be some too because it's pitch dark and like all of a sudden you, you come up over a rise and you see on the side of the road there's a zebra. That'd like, be a little weird. Yeah, it would be a little weird. <laughs> so Or a camel for that matter. But glad all the animals were, uh, were gotten back corralled and nobody hit a camel. Yeah, that's true. Like that. So uh, 
I, I enjoy the zoo or the uh, the circus. I haven't been in a couple of years. Good, That's I a like fun time. Circus. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I remember going to the circus as a yeah. kid. I, I remember the, the, the Shrine Circus jingle has not changed in, I think, 300 no. years. No, it's great. So, yes. Three rings it's of fun. Of those. Yeah, it continues to, uh, to, to be a thing year after year here in Fort Wayne. So. Thanks to Justin Cohn for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick coming up next. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. And another chance to win Mastodon Suite tickets for you as well. That does it for us here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.